Hi, Hebe. Thanks for joining us and welcome to our podcast. For those who don't know you, um, could you give us a little bit of background about yourself, how you got in the industry and how you've evolved into De Berg Equine? Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, good morning, Gemma. It's a beautiful sunny day in Ireland. We don't see a lot of these. But anyway, yeah, you know, I was born in Ireland, raised on a family, family farm surrounded by racehorses. The family farm had been in, the, in our family since 1690. And the generations, they raced horses for pleasure and they uh, fox hunted. And after the Second World War, my father came back from the war and uh, he changed from racing for pleasure to selling commercially. So um, we started selling commercially really from about 1950. He was a very successful breeder and um, horse breeder and bred you know, a number of champions off the farm. Me personally, I was educated in Ireland and in England. I rode then as a, a bit of an amateur jockey, but I got too heavy. But I did ride six winners. so. Uh, it was worse than I was, but not many. Um, I then got into the what I would call the embryo stage of the globalization of horse racing. And I went to work in Kentucky, which was a place called Claiborne Farm, which is one of the biggest, most successful farms in the world at the time. And that then led on to the start of what we call the shuttling of stallions to Australia, where they, they covered mares in the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, I got the job of shuttling, of the, the stallion groom, shuttling one of the stallions for William Hill, the bookmaker, to South Australia. We were one of the first three stallions ever to go to Australia. We went down on a, on a 747. It was a bit like Noah's Ark. There was a, a 747 with three stallions up the front, uh, 60 mares and two zebras at the back. And the two zebras died, unfortunately, coming out of Singapore airport in very heavy turbulence. But the stallions got to Australia safely in one piece. So went there, did the stallion season, brought him back to William Hill. And then I went back down to Australia for five years and um, basically returned to run the family farm. And just while that was happening, it was the start of the Maktoums, the ruling family of Dubai, getting involved in horse racing, which are they're now the biggest racehorse owners in the world with thousands of horses in training everywhere. And uh, I got a job when there was basically only two horses managing the Irish farm, which developed into nine farms in Ireland. And then it became a sort of global thing. There was farms in England, farms in America racing in all over Europe, the UAE, Australia. And I was part of that development stage with the, a couple of other managers too on the global basis. And uh, I spent 20 years with Hamdan. And then I left and I set up Deberg Equine uh, 17 years ago. And can you tell uh, me a little bit about Deberg Equine? What do you do there? Like what's on offer at Deberg Equine? But basically, Deberg Equine is a, we're a bloodstock agency. And we, we source horses for clients all around the world. I spend about five months of the year away from the office. Basically, traveling the world trying to find these horses. For example, we, 2018, we, we sold horses to 13 different countries around the world. Last year, there were to 10 different countries. We manage clients' racing and breeding stock. We manage stud farms. We also buy stud farms for people. But our, our main goal is, the, is trying to buy the racehorse. And the biggest challenge of all is trying to find the horse that, that can travel the world and race at all the big racing carnivals like the new one at the moment is the Saudi Cup is worth $20 million. Then you've got the Dubai Carnival with $30 million of prize money in a day. You've got all the Sydney and the Melbourne Carnivals, Melbourne especially the Melbourne Cup, the Hong Kong Big Days Racing, all the Royal Ascot Racing, the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. So there's huge racing now worldwide, huge prize money at stake. And our job is to try and find horses to compete in these races. Our client base, really at the moment, our active client base is basically Australia, New Zealand, America, the Gulf, Europe, and the Far East. So we're actually in every developed racing country around the world. We're not in China yet, because China hasn't opened up, and we're not in Russia. 
but we're in most of the other ones. And considering the current circumstances and that horse ownership is, is more of a passion, have people still been buying horses, even if it's remotely? Yeah, I mean, the horse racing industry is a very resilient one. And it's, it's, it's fought through many world wars. It's fought through depressions. It's fought through every sort of thing. It's always bounced back. But at the moment, uh, I would say we're having a really challenging time because really because of the lack of racing. You know, I mean, coronavirus is obviously something very serious and, and one's health is more important than, than an industry, really. But, you know, only people who own racehorses, they, it's a luxury commodity and they own racehorses because they want the pleasure of, of actually watching them run. And at the moment, in a number of countries, they can't race. Also, racing is funded by the betting industry. And if there's no betting, because there's no racing, there's reduced prize money. So everything is kind of squeezed at the moment. I mean, owners are a very important part of our, of our industry, really. They, they buy from the breeders and they send them to the trainers. The, uh, the industry employs the farriers, they buy the riders, the feed merchants. It's a very labor-intensive business we have. So at the moment, owners are frustrated. But the positive thing that's coming out of all this is that Australia, Hong Kong and Japan have raced through the whole process, admittedly behind closed doors. So you can't actually go racing, but you can actually watch it. At the moment, as I'm sitting talking to you, I'm actually watching French racing from Paris right this very second because in Europe, France and Germany opened up the other day, which is really good. And the UK, Ireland looked like opening up in June. America is partly opened up. And uh, once all this happens, the industry will, will go, will start moving again because once horses race, horses can be sold. So once there's trading of horses, an industry actually comes back to life again. I mean, one of the good things in our business is our breeding side never stopped. So mares were able to be covered by stallions throughout Europe. So the, the babies from the, those coverings will be next year and they will be horses to be running in 2023. So if that had stopped, there would have been no, no horses to race and it would have been a disaster, but that's been kept going. So there's been a lot of positive things through the challenging parts. And have people still been buying horses though? Because like, I, I think you yeah. were mentioning before that. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting that because Australia is an, an amazing country and on the online technology, they are way ahead of us in Europe and America. And um, because they've been racing, people have still been buying horses. Now, the only way they're able to buy them is online. So they had an online sale the other day. They've had a couple of online sales in the last month. They did $120 million worth of sales of horses in that month online. And that's Incredible that people weren't at the sales, but uh, people did go to see the horses because you're allowed to move under certain structures in Australia to go and see the horses. So agents, which is what we are, were able to go around. And, well, I wasn't because I was in Ireland because I couldn't travel to Australia, but I did have somebody working for me in Australia and we were able to buy because people saw the horses, but they couldn't actually physically turn up on the sales ground. The horses weren't even on the sales ground. They were back on the farms, but they were bought online on a live auction online people were bidding through their telephones through ipads through every modern structure now and that's that's pretty new and one sales company in europe has been starting to do it but it's going to become more and more and more online now uh, selling horses online which is really an interesting thing it's new you know and it's good so that happened but i would say we've had no clients in deborg equine that they've said that they're actually pulling out of racing but what they are doing they're probably reducing on investment. So they were probably, this year, I'd say, this is going to be not a good year, but I think it'll pick up again next year. 
they'll probably spend 30 to 50 percent reduce. You know, say they spent 100,000 last year, they'll probably spend 50,000 this year, 50 to 70,000 this year, but they will stay involved. And another very interesting that's coming out of it for us anyway is that a lot of our high-end clients are saying that they will they expect to see um, value in the market, although I think the market will drop about 30% probably up here in October when our big yielding sales come along. But I think that they're all saying if there's value, they'll buy. So I think what they're looking for is value, and uh, that, will, that will happen. There'll be great buying opportunities for people that want to get involved in the business you know, later in the year. And do you think that because of this, they're being forced to adapt, that there'll be a change in the industry, like the way that you actually do business? Because it's been quite traditional up till now, hasn't it? Like how you buy and sell and look at horses. Do you think there's going to be a change in the future? I I think it it, it may change, but I, I think they'll always come back to what it was at the very beginning. You know, that people want to see the horse. People want to touch the horse. You know, you have to because we're buying an athlete. We've got to be able to see the horse. And touch it and feel it and you know, all the things that all the rules that we work under when we're trying to find a, a good horse for somebody you know but I think in the short term we're going to have to work the online structure and this but I think what it will do in the long term it will open another way of selling horses too so there'll be two ways of selling there'll be online will be used more and more there'll be a lot more private sales done online than there's ever been before but at the same time people will want to look at a horse too but that but that's long term there will be there's a big demand and what we got to really remember this thing is that people will keep buying horses i mean there are big demand for race horses globally there are a lot of new emerging countries you know coming out uh, in the gulf asia and they need to source horses somewhere so even though there might be a reduction in the value there won't be they all these horses will still get sold because there is a market for them somewhere in the world and uh, you know if china and that'll be huge if they can get gambling legalized in china it will be unbelievably big in china but it hasn't happened yet Maybe one day, well, I don't know. But I think in Europe, there's probably going to be more of a noticeable reduction in Europe probably than there will be in Asia or the Gulf, uh, probably in the short term. I think what we're going to see, uh, we're going to see a bit of a change, I think, in the type of ownership model. I mean, Australia has always been brilliant because it has syndicates and, and um, partnerships and everything else, and not a huge amount of individual, you know, one guy owning one horse. Where in Europe, we did have a lot more of one guy owning one horse. But that's going to change. I think there's going to be a lot more partnerships and syndicates in Europe following on the Australian model. And an exact example of that is, is your horse, um, the luxury LMH horse, Reverend Hubert. Uh, he's owned by people from four different countries. You know, he's got uh, Australian connections, German connections, English connections, and American connections. And that, I think, is going to be the future of people joining together and buying maybe five horses instead of just one horse, only one horse, 100%, that they will spread a bit. And, and I think that's going to be really good for racing if it does happen. Yeah, I think partnerships, everyone helping each other is the way forward, isn't it? And I must say, um, we're looking forward to seeing our beauty run. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, at the moment, he's a champion, and I think he'll be. He's a lovely horse. According to our trainer, Richard Hannon, he's mad about him. So that's oh, good. good. Good, good. If, if we consider the thrill of owning and following a racehorse, what would you say is an owner's dream to win? Uh, well, that's a good question, I think, uh, Gemma, because I think that it, a lot of it depends on the country that you are born in or you live in. There are many great races around the world, but I mean, I lived in Australia for a number of years and I fell in love with the Melbourne Cup. So my dream was always to win a Melbourne Cup or to buy the winner of a Melbourne Cup for somebody. So 
I've been lucky. I've bought two in the last sort of six years for, for people in Australia. So I've been part of, of winning the cup as such. And when I worked for Sheikh Hamdan, we won two Melbourne Cups. So to me, the whole of that was just an incredible experience. But if I was in Europe, for example, the race I would probably love to win more than anything is the Arc de Trail in Paris. I mean, it's just an incredible race of champions. That would be my, my sort of goal. But if you're an American, they probably want to win the Kentucky Derby. You know, if it's in England, it's probably the, the English Derby. So, you know, everybody has a race. And there are so many great races around the world. I mean, just and the joy of winning. You know, I've been very lucky to earn some good horses myself. And the joy of winning a big, a big race is, you know, indescribable, really. It doesn't do your liver any good, but um, it's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's great, you know. And, uh, and I, I think it comes back to me, too. You know, it, it, if you own horses in partnership, and you do happen to have a very good horse. My goodness, you can have some fun with your partners, especially. I mean, I had a horse that I owned last year, and we we ran him in he ran in 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 England. He won in England. He won in France. And we raced him in Hong Kong, and we raced him in Australia. And I I went everywhere with that horse, and he ran in those big races. My goodness, did I have some fun in that? We were the biggest race race meetings, biggest race tracks, looked after incredibly well by the race clubs. Uh, I, I I defy anybody to find a more enjoyable experience than that was. With, with this horse that I owned. I'm sure that there was lots of champagne drank. <laughs> there was so much champagne, I promise you. I, I know every cocktail bar in Hong Kong, most of the ones in Sydney from it. And, uh, oh my, by the end of it all, I was glad that he, I glad he retired and went to stud, otherwise I would have had a liver transplant. <laughs> Speaking of champagne, considering large social gatherings is probably some way down the track, how do you envisage um, people are going to start returning to racing and enjoying racing yeah it's a sort of a it's a sad thing isn't it that we're going to have to be behind closed doors for quite a considerable period of time i reckon i'd, I'd say it'll be probably next year before we get back to actually be all out on the track with the horses but the first hurdle we've got to get over is be able to see them run even on a television set yeah no i think yeah, next year when it happens people are going to be piling onto that racetrack like you've never seen i mean a lot the, funny about what's happening right now is because it has been shown on television by a number of people. And it is one of the few gambling opportunities you have. Racing has been exposed, probably horse racing, to a lot of people that probably never really ever watched it, but they have been watching it now. So we may get a complete influx of new people coming into the business. In fact, I think we probably will actually. I mean, I can't wait to get back to Royal Ascot next year. I mean, I just think it's one of the great meetings of all time. I can't wait to go back to the Melbourne Cup. I, can't, I just can't wait to get back on the racetrack. So I yeah. guess you probably answered uh, the last question I was going to ask you, which is, what are you most looking forward to after lockdown? <laughs> well, I mean, the first <laughs> good question, the pub opening in Ireland would be the first thing because I live in Ireland. But anyway, no, no, my first thing, if I turn up in London, I will go probably to Zuma's, first of all, followed by Zaffirano. It's pretty close behind that. And then after that, I'll take off to Paris, I'll go and see all our horses in training in Chanty, Normandy and Deauville. And I'll make sure that I tackle some of the best restaurants that they have available over there. In fact, actually, so much so that, you know, we go out to Bordeaux, uh, Marseille. We have horses all over the place in France. So I can't wait for that. But that hasn't happened yet. But the moment you say that, I've already dripped. My mouth is dribbling at the thought of that great wine, great champagne and great food. That's not that far down the road that we'll be allowed back on track to have that again. Gosh, I think uh, you have quite a lot of people following you then. Sounds pretty good to me. Yes, well, the one um, great thing. They in the horse racing business, they always say that if you ever want to, to know the best restaurant in any 
anywhere in the world, always ask somebody in the horse racing business because we actually do happen to have an ability to find the best restaurants and the best wine, the best champagne. <laughs> so even when a horse gets beaten, we still drink and eat well. And uh, when they win, we drink and eat even more and better. <laughs> Sounds like we'll all be joining the horse industry. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Really insightful. And we'll get in touch again soon and you can perhaps let us know what happens once everyone gets out of lockdown and back to racing.